How are you doing today, Maria? I'm doing good. It's a great fall day. It is. It is beautiful. Um, I, I haven't gone outside really too much, but uh, the times that I did go outside, it was nice and warm. Yeah, yeah. I'm seeing driving over the colors. The fall colors are in full bloom in our area right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Have you ever done the Michigan color drive? No. No? Yeah, me neither. Everybody tells me that I should try it, but I haven't done it yet. Well, I guess you probably got to time it right and trying to get that one weekend where you can get it in, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a coworker tell me that he was wanting to go a couple weekends ago, and I thought our colors down here were at peak. And um, he was like, yeah, it's, they're not quite ready up there yet. Well, I'm sure just being a little further north and, and south, it makes a difference. But yeah. driving over from Oakland County today, it was pretty beautiful, pretty orange, pretty yellow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And then it, obviously it's going to lead into crappy weather here soon. <laughs> and <laughs> Which, then all the leaves fall and we're breaking. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so we have a lot of things to talk about. Um, I don't really know where to start. You sent me an email with all the information, which I, I tried finding that email today. I didn't have it anymore. Um, but you do a lot of, uh, advocating for kids in schools. You are a single mom and you are a business owner. I am. Somewhere in there, tell me about yourself and let's kind of build the story a little <laughs> bit. Well, I'm a single mom. I have a high schooler and live over in Oakland County and, um, you know, through, years of different careers and stuff, I found myself working as a special education advocate. And if people don't know what that is, basically families with children that are either different learners or have um, any kind of special need, their parents hire me to fight with the school <laughs> and make sure the laws are file, uh, followed and that their children get the um, special education services and supports they need um, based on, you know, what their specific diagnoses are and how it manifests. So um, I found myself doing this as a parent of a child who's also on an IEP, which is an individual um, education plan at school. And um, then somewhere in this process, you know, I was never somebody who was highly engaged in terms of politics or anything like that. I was kind of like your voters at the week before the election. <laughs> I'd kind of read some articles and decide, oh, I think I'm going to vote this way. Um, but in the last few years, there's been so many things going on and you hear things like, oh, this is happening in the schools or there's CRT or this or that. And I thought, well, none of that's going on in my son's school. But why do they keep saying that? You know? Um, and then I started looking around on the school district website and about 300 rabbit holes later, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so when you started looking around on the website, what did you, what did you find? Well, the first things I noticed was, you know, people were talking a lot about uh, CRT or critical race theory. And I really didn't believe that there were things like that, you know, going on in the schools. Um, so I started looking into the social emotional learning that the school is um, putting out and spending a lot of time talking about. And the, also the diversity, equity and inclusion stuff. And when I looked on there, they were there were some things about social emotional learning and they led me down a road of which program they were using. And it was a program called uh, teaching tolerance or teaching for tolerance or something like that. And then I thought, well, what is this program? So I looked at their website and um, since then they had changed the, the title to learning for justice and they had a bunch of lesson plans on there. And I started looking at the lesson plans and realized there were words like oppressed and oppressor and almost multiple lesson plans. And I thought, how is this going on in my kid's school? And I don't know about it, you know? Um, and then I started kind of just questioning, 
what was going on about that. I spoke about it at a meeting, not within my school district, just within my county. And lo and behold, a month later, all the information was gone off the school website. Whoa. Yeah. It was gone. Why did they take it down? I didn't ask, but I just thought it was a little ironic. Maybe it was purely <laughs> coincidental, but seeing as there was a lot of parents starting to rise up and question these things, um, I thought it was just kind of strange timing. Within probably a month, maybe six weeks, it was all gone because I went back to look for it for something, reference, and it was all gone. Whoa. Yeah. And that was a couple of years ago? Um, that was probably within the last two years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Now, when did the school start to kind of start teaching these things? Have they Gosh. always kind of taught these things? You know, that is a really hard question to answer. Um, you know, um, before living in Michigan, I'm originally from Michigan, but we were living out of state. So for the early years of my son's education, kindergarten through grade four, we were in Illinois and I was really engaged in the school as a mom involved with PTO. I was PTO president, vice president, fundraising committee, doing all <laughs> of that stuff, right? Um, I spent, you know, I was at the school all the time because I had the time to devote to it and volunteer my time. Never once was there anything ever political mentioned or any of these things. I never saw that in Illinois whatsoever. And so we moved here in fifth grade with my son. He's now a junior, so it gives you an idea of time. And I really didn't notice a lot of things except for in middle school. The social-emotional learning, we had an incident with that that was um, – really hurtful and difficult for my son and difficult for me. And that started me questioning things in middle school. So I didn't really know with the social emotional learning what they were trying to do other than to have kids kind of share more personal experiences. Um, so that's what that was, is just being open, a little bit more open, talking about personal things in hopes of what? Um, I think... I think probably, and I can't quote the school, but I think probably to teach children to kind of reinforce, to be compassionate, and understand that everyone has their own story, and sometimes we don't know what that story is, and mm. it's not an easy situation. Yeah. Right? Um, so for me, you know, the story my son shared was um, that I was a cancer survivor, and now at this point I'm a single mom to him, so, you know, he's a little worried about what that means. He right. shared that in a group, and he was bullied because of it. And um, a few days later, some of the kids shared that information that um, myself, as well as his dad, actually, my ex-husband's a cancer survivor as well. So for my son, it was a very personal, emotional thing to share. He was encouraged to share that in a group setting, and it was used against him at school. And when the bully confronted him and said, how's the family? And my son said, fine. He goes, are you sure? And then he knew what he was getting at, and my son lost it. A fight, a fight ensued, and my son got expelled. So. Wow. Yeah. How did the school react to that? Um, the school justified the other boy and said he was just teasing him because you guys are divorced. And they expelled my son regardless what? of what I said. Yeah. How's that okay? It's not. It's not okay. <laughs> so did he ever get get reinstated back to the he school? He was reinstated back in the school. Um, and then after, you know, he was expelled a little bit before COVID. Um, and then, you know, we were when COVID hit, they decided that he no longer to needed to school elsewhere. Um, because my son is on an IEP, they do have to provide education whether he's been expelled or not. Mm. So he was getting outside education, a virtual program, and then they had to switch him and they switched him right back into the virtual program the rest of the school was doing when COVID hit, um, which unfortunately was far less of quality than the <laughs> other virtual program they had him in. And I kept saying, can we just keep him in the one he's in? And they said, no. Wow. So, 
that's a huge problem, right? With the public schools is when the bully is bullying somebody and the somebody reacts and defends themselves, they yeah. are held accountable. And yeah. it's like, it's almost like the bully is, they're protecting the bully in a sense. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, you know, when you take into account that, um, with some of the learning differences and diagnoses my son has is that he may not respond in a way that's typical to other kids regarding social situations. And that was something the school was very aware of. So, you know, um, I think that was my first clue that social emotional learning was something that I wanted to understand, like why they were doing it, what the purpose was because of our experience. Um, but I, I didn't really see you know, outward things after that, that were like CRT or anything like that. But when I started digging, like I said, more when my son was in, um, I guess it would have been in high school. Um, no, I guess it would have been in the middle school. That's when I started finding these things about the learning for justice program and stuff. And it started, what is that? that's the one I was mentioning to you that I went on their school website and it had disappeared. Oh, cool. Right. And I looked at that and at first, the first name was teaching tolerance. And I thought, okay, as a mom, I don't want to teach my child to be tolerant. I want my child to be accepting and kind of others. So I thought the name was a little odd, mm. teaching tolerance. But then when it changed to learning for justice, I thought, okay, that has a whole different spin on it. Justice for what? For who? Right. Like right. what's our motive here? You know, that kind right. of thing. Yeah. So did you ever find that out? Well, when I looked at their website, it was filled with a lot of things that were um, – things that I found to be offensive personally, and I can't speak for everyone's point of view, but looking at the lesson plans and seeing that they were to read a passage from something and then decide who was the oppressor and who was the oppressed person. I, I didn't, I don't really think that focusing all of our attention in school on that and labeling kids things, um, you know, I just don't see how that benefits them in learning how to read a passage in a book and like learn something academic. But there was a lot of things in there, the terminologies that they were using um, seemed to be very consistent with some of the things you see in some of the CRT teachings. Mm. That's where, again, I started saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then I had discovered that there was actually a math class in the high schools. And I wish I had saved a picture of it. And I did not because that disappeared from the website too. But it was something to the effect that math was racist. And I thought to myself, what? math is racist. And I was like, wow, I did not know that in all my 50 plus years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not good at math and I'm Hispanic. So I'm assuming that it is racist. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> now I've got my question answered. That works in my favor. Yeah. Now, um, that's, that's wild. Why do you think this is this stuff is uh, seeping into the educational system? Wow. And you know, it's funny because I feel like that is such a big question. And I feel like if you would have asked me this a few years ago, I would have thought, oh, maybe it's just like a rogue superintendent or a rogue school district or administrator who's made these decisions. But over the course of the last few years, I've had to kind of try to answer that question myself, which led me to go down several rabbit holes and start reading and understanding what are the connections between um, our school district and the teachers union or the state board of education or other groups um, and kind of trying to understand like, where is this coming from? Um, so for me, if I were to answer the question straight with what I know today, I would say, unfortunately, it comes strongly from political ties. Um, there is a lot of more liberal ideologies in these things. And, you know, the teachers union is, if you were to ask me, an extension of the Democratic Party because they donate all their funds to the Democratic Party and they align very much with the Democrat views. 
And for the most part, they only support and uh, endorse Democrat candidates for school boards. Yeah, that's a that's a wild thing for me to kind of understand, too, because I work at General Motors. So obviously we're UAW. And uh, the thing is with the UAW is they're also part of the Democratic Party. Like they no matter what endorse the Democratic Democratic Party. And I'm like, why? Like, why do you like blindly just endorse this party? Like, you don't know anything about these people. Well, yeah. And I think for voters, you know, for parents and citizens, I think it's time people focus more on voting for what's important to them than for a party. Right. Um, I can say for me as a mom, I, again, like I said, I was never anybody who was political and really identified with one party or spent a lot of time on top politics. I was probably very uneducated on politics. So if we had to have a conversation, I'd be like, Ooh, gotta go. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's me right now. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's hard because I mean, I'm in a relationship with someone and for the first three years of our relationship, I don't think we ever discussed politics. <laughs> so thank God we're on the same side. <laughs> we discovered that, but you know, I think, um, you know, it's time though that people look at the individual values that are important to them in their life and for their families and to make those voting decisions based on that than an alliance to a party. Yeah. I don't think you're ever fully going to agree with one side or another, but I think you need to prioritize with what's most important. And as a mom, I can say that my son is definitely the most important thing and I'll always vote in the direction that supports what I think is best for him. Always. I mean, that's, that's the right answer, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, most people, I know so many people that will say I, I vote Republican because uh, like, I just can't agree with most of the Democratic ideas. But then there's people who vote Democrat because they just want to be a Democrat. Like, they, they want to support that party no matter what. Right. And I think most people don't look at the individual like a, like an individual. Like, okay, what do they stand for? What what do I align my ideas with with them? And it's a problem. We have these sides. It's like, if you're on this side, then you're this. If you're on this side, then you're that. It's no, very, very frustrating. Well, I, it is. And I think it's when you see the politics playing out in the school system where I've always thought of the school as being a community of a family, a community of people that, um, you know, we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different values or different religion or cultural beliefs. And I've never thought of that as being any way that divided us. Um, so I always look to the school community is like a family thing. You could lean on another mom if you needed help with something with your child or had questions about the school or forgot a, you know, a field trip slip or something. Can you right. send it to me? Um, but right now when you're seeing the politics play out at the school level, it's really dividing these communities and it's, um, there's a lot of name calling going on. That's really unjust. I mean, I've been called some pretty horrible names in this process. Um, what are, are you labeled anything? I know, because I know that you run the, uh, the, what is it? It's a Liberty page. I, I can't run, remember the name. Yeah. I run Michigan Liberty leaders. Yeah. So typically that name would be associated with like a, a right wing ideology <laughs> oh, yeah, just because right. you have the word Liberty in it. Yeah. And that's <laughs> sad because, you know, when you think about for liberty and justice for all, um, you would think that Liberty is something that all Americans would, <laughs> would align with. Um, no, I've been, I've been definitely, you know, been told that I'm far right or a bigot or different things. And, you know, that's not who I am as a person at all. Um, you know, I think that people need to understand that, um, there's a lot of noise going on right now. And really, you know, at the end of the day, we have to get back to the basics and 
especially when it comes to school, which is academic performance. And so if people want to say, because I don't support a particular thing going on in a school, um, they want to call me and label me a bigot or whatever. Okay, I'm there to advocate for academic performance for our children. And I don't care. Like, at this point, I, I'm really over the name calling. Like, I, I, I know who I stand for. I'm right with God. And I know what I'm trying to do for children in the state of Michigan and, and my county and, and the communities. Um, and it's really, in my heart, it's, it's the best for kids. Well, I mean, it's all intent, too. So, like, your intent is to help children to help people get the best education that you believe that they could they should be getting and when you have people who just want to call you names they're just dismissing you it's just an easy way to dismiss who what you're doing and who you are well and really the the motivation you know behind what we're doing and the things that we're saying you know when we look at um, the state of michigan you know in the last couple years since the 2018-19 school year um, till last year, because I don't think they have this year's student counts in. Michigan lost 65,000 students in public schools. Whoa. And, you know, I know that COVID is a complex thing. There could be a lot of reasons why parents pulled their children out. But I think we can all agree that as parents, we made those decisions because they felt we're, they were best for our kids, right? Um, but then, you know, we only lost 65,000. There's a lot of parents like me that didn't have another choice. I'm a single mom. My child gets some special services at school. So there really wasn't an alternative place for me to feel comfortable or have really have an option to place my son. So there was a lot of other families like myself or whatever their circumstances were that didn't have the opportunity or choice or ability to pull their child from school. So um, the education since then, when you look at the Michigan education as a whole, the recent literacy numbers came out. And and in Michigan, we have abysmal literacy rates. Our children in third grade are, I mean, only like 30-something percent of those children are proficient as far as reading. I don't know how as a state we can be okay with that, you know, 30% of the children. And then that's across the board. But then when you start looking into other situations, you could look in a a community where – children maybe have um, a less marginalized or more marginalized situation and the literacy rates are even worse, like in Detroit and Flint and some of those areas that are maybe more economically challenged. And so, you know, we know that there it's it's less than 10%. Wow. And, you know, education should be the foundation, right, of a a person's life. Yeah. With education, you know, you, that gives you those opportunities and lends you to the opportunities that you're going to have to be up to be an independent person, um, to be able to take care of yourself, take care of your family, um, and pursue the things that you need to, um, career wise or, or whatever. I mean, you know, I don't know how you can be successful in life without getting that foundation of education. So I feel like the state right now is failing a great majority of our kids. Yeah. I mean, I have two young ones in school and, uh, my daughter, she started school as a kindergarten during COVID when they were, wow. when they were home. And it was probably one of the most detrimental things for her in her educational, like education career. Um, I, I believe that her being home and learning from online and obviously we work from out of the, out of the house. So we had to have people come over and watch her during class and stuff. And I just feel that the education that she got wasn't the education that she, she deserved. And by being online and starting school online, I, I believe it set her back quite a ways. And it's something that's real interesting to me that the school is not concerned about, but their standards are still the same. 
they have not changed their standards for these kids that like started during those times and they expect them to be at the the place with where they're supposed to be as if they were, you know, in school. And not that I want them to lower their standards, but you would think that there would be like special help for these kids that had had started school during those times and and there's not anything. No, I agree and you know, I I've looked at this um from a number of ways, you know, even as far as the students that um, don't demonstrate proficiency enough to actually be forwarded on to the next grade. I've looked at those numbers in the last few years to see if they looked different, that there was more children being held back and there hasn't been. So these kids have been being passed on from grade to grade yeah. without demonstrating a particular level of proficiency um, that they should be. So I can say that they probably are changing the standards because I would think that all those children are not achieving grade level stuff once they've been bumped up to the next grade after being out. That's what I mean is that like during like the parent teacher conferences, you know, they're, they they talk about how like, for instance, my daughter, like she's not up to the levels that she should be in reading Mm -hmm. or math or whatever, all these different um, achievements that they expect, you know, quarterly or whatever. But, they still pass them. Mm-hmm. They don't hold them back anymore. And right. I, we asked why, and they said that um, they're, you know, it, it affects them emotionally and mentally, and it could be traumatic to them. But it's like then you also need to be having services available for these students, and there is none. It's like no, it's, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of schools really haven't done anything, and I never really saw a state directive come out saying that they're going to do this for all the schools. I mean, there was nothing really that came out with an initiative from um, the governor that I saw, as well as even the State Board of Education mandating or instilling that, no, you have to do this. Um, The other thing I looked into in the process was the billions of dollars that came from all the COVID relief funds. And I wish I had looked this up before I got here because it's been a while since I looked at that. But there was like ESSER 1, ESSER 2, there was um, ESSER 3, and there was another one. I cannot remember the name offhand what it was, but there was four different for sure, at least four different um, COVID relief funds that were dispersed. And when I looked at it collectively, only I think it was like 10 or 20 percent of that had to be spent and allocated towards learning loss. That was it. Wow. And it was really only a certain percentage. I want to say it was 20 percent, but only from one of them, like ESSER 3. It wasn't even all of the funds. So, you know, what they did focus on, and I don't know that it was allocated what percent they had to or if they had to, but so much it was focused on the mental health and social emotional piece of mm. our children, which we all realized that COVID did have some emotional impact on kids. Um, but I guess when you don't also correct the academic thing, how does that not snowball into a worse mental health situation when your children feel like they're failing and they can't complete the homework and they don't understand the schoolwork? Because that in itself adds even more mental trauma to your kids when they feel like they're stupider than their peers or something. Yeah, especially as they get older and older and go into higher grades. I mean, it's only going to get worse for them. Right. And so there's been so much focus on just the mental health piece and that, but there really hasn't been a lot of talk about, you know, raising the proficiency in math and reading and science. And, you know, when you look at the statistics um, of and the numbers out there that talk about where America rates in terms of educational performance and education systems, we are no longer anywhere near the top. <laughs> and as the state of Michigan, we have some very abysmal 
ratings compared to other states in the U.S. We are towards the bottom third in almost wow. everything. So, um, you know, right now, uh, for those of us that are looking into this next election, and you never really think about all the education as being a big piece of the election, yeah. at least I never did before. No. But I think right now it's at the forefront, and you see here a lot more things in the news um, talking about the educational issues and concerns by parents and also the lack of appropriate academic performance in our state. Um, so really, you know, I would like to see there be more emphasis on that because this is setting up the whole next generation for yeah. their success, their yeah. independence, and what they can achieve in life, whether they go to college or go to a trade school or whether they become a young entrepreneur. If you don't have that foundation of education, how are you going to achieve any of that? Yeah. Yeah, I actually recently just started a business, and I was telling my wife, I'm like, why don't they teach this in school? Like, they don't teach you how to start an LLC or, like, what tax forms you need to fill out and how to do that. Right. Why don't they teach that? I don't know. I mean, I, even the personal finance, I know they're making an effort to teach that. Um, that's a newer thing that, that I think believe the governor put out earlier this year is like personal finance would yeah. be something which I think is helpful. But I also think that again, you know, there needs to be more focus on everybody not being college bound because there's such a need for trades right now. Yes. And so there are so many smart kids. I mean, think about a, a, someone who goes in as a plumbing apprentice and, and does all of that work and then comes out of that two or three years later and starts a business. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I think that you know, there isn't a stigma. Comes out debt-free. Yes, debt-free too. Yeah. And there isn't a stigma. <laughs> I mean, there shouldn't be a stigma. We should have just as much encouragement for trades or young entrepreneurs to start business as we do yeah. for those kids that go to college. And regardless, they still need that foundation of the basics. They need to be able to, you know, send an appropriate email or an appropriate bill to a client right. or that write a paper if they're in college. And, and they still need to be able to do basic math to plan their, their business plan or to write a bill for a customer or yeah. to go on in college and pursue something that might involve, you know, statistics or something else. So um, I think that, you know, really this election, the election is definitely going to have education at the forefront. Yeah, that's important. And that's something that I don't remember any time in history, recent history, where politicians were talking about the educational system, um, except for Ryan Kelly when he was on. <laughs> He, yeah. And he opened up my eyes to um, the sexualization. He kept saying that. That was like part of his thing, like yeah. the sexualization of, of children in, in the schools. And so he said it on the podcast and then I started looking into it a little bit. And then I think I told you, you yeah. know, like I didn't realize the material that, that was being exposed to these children. Yeah. You, and I've had some experience with that. Um, you know, like I said, I'm connected to probably over 100, 150 parent groups across the state. So I talk to a lot of parents in different communities about what's happening in their school. Some of the stories I hear directly from parents that have witnessed it with their own kids are things that um, I would have, I find hard to believe are going on in schools. Um, you know, I know of a situation where we've got, we definitely have kids that are identifying differently as far as transgender, and they are at young ages using opposite locker rooms and bathrooms. We're talking in you know middle school, late elementary school years. Um, we wow. have that going on in the high school. I remember um, when I was in middle school, there was and everybody's going through their change, you know. And I remember having uh, you know, we would have like a swimming class, and so all the boys would have to go in the boys' locker room, and it was one of the most embarrassing like times like to have awkward. to change and yeah it's just <laughs> awkward like being around people you see some people who have pubes some people who don't and you don't and like it's just like it's so weird and I couldn't imagine having to 
kind of be around that at that age. That's got to feel so awkward well, for, I think, for children. I think that, you know, those middle school years and, and high school years are just very um, difficult times for kids. I think that they're finding themselves, they're trying to figure out who they're going to be and trying to figure out where they fit in to society with the groups of kids at school and where they fit in academically. Are they smart or do they struggle or are they the jock? Um, and I think that, you know, then when you throw this sexualized piece in, um, it's hard because, you know, you don't want kids to identify themselves and or think of who they are in terms of just sexualization and that. I mean, you know, there's so many things, even when I think about how, you know, right now there is such a push for acceptance for kids that identify different, whether it be transgender or another um, sexual identity or if, um, any of those things. Um, but at the same time, they're kids and they're smart. They have so many other qualities. It's not just about seeing them in terms of how they identify sexually. So I also kind of feel like that's a little bit of a blow that the only way they're being recognized is by the sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you want to see that whole student as a person. Like, why is that the only piece we're focusing on? I don't know. It's very strange to me. Well, I think a lot of these kids, um, they want to be accepted and they want to kind of stand out from their peers, right? They got They have to be labeled in a sense. And, uh, like they want to be special and they want to be different than everybody else. So I think it, it's kind of weird that all of a sudden we have this huge push amongst these young people to want to identify as something different or have like, gender pronouns or whatever. Um, I don't know. It's real strange. Well, I, and think I don't know if it's just the educational system. No, I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting because, I wish I had pulled some more statistics before I got here, but there was a recent article I read, and I believe it was that from the nineteen or from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one, that the number of um, minors that were getting um, mastectomies because of this transgender, you know, transitioning thing, went up three hundred percent. And there's a lot of other statistics that show, and again, I didn't pull data on the other one I'm thinking of, but there was a recent study that was out and they talked about the number of children that are now kids. I think, I can't remember the age, like 22 and under or 18 under that were identifying as a different gender. And it was just astronomical, the explosion that it had taken off from one year to another. Um, I don't think that if you hear about transgenderism or about any of the LGBTQ um, things, that that's going to make a child necessarily turn that I I don't think that but I think that when you take all of these ideas and these ideologies and and place them in the the heads of kids when they're young and you focus so much on all of the sexual peace that when they are trying to find their way to where they fit in and sometimes if that seems to be the child who is identifying different is getting more attention and all those things they might take that as a way to kind of solve the other problem they have going on in their mind about not being accepted or being popular or whatever it is now I'm never going to say that there aren't kids that truly identify different or are are trans or or gay or any of that, because there are just some people that are, you know. But I think that, you know, I don't know why we have to spend so much time talking about it in school with young children. And, you know, when you see surveys come out and your child comes home and says, yes, they asked me my pronouns today. Well, unless I've given permission for them to ask about my son's pronouns, that violates the PPRA laws. The school just broke a law. That's not okay. What are the PPRA laws? It is, uh, basically, it's the protections of students' privacy okay. type of law. So you can file complaints on that, and you and can that go would, online. that would and, fall under the same thing, like where they ask if they can take pictures and post them in? Um, 
I like, don't know if it falls under the same thing. I don't think it exactly is the same thing because there it's all about the questions that they ask and they can't ask about political affiliations. Oh, they can't okay. ask about sexual things. They okay. can't, there's a whole list and there is a website. So if you Google like PPRA laws, student protection, it'll come up. And if a majority of our students have already been violated because teachers and schools are asking this without parental permission. So you can file a complaint and they will investigate it. Um, what happens if you file a complaint? Can you sue the school? I don't think it's a, a lawsuit thing, but I think that at this point, it's but you're filing a complaint, it would be investigated, and then at that school, the, at, at that point, once it's investigated, the school would be reprimanded and told, "Hey, look, you can't do this; it breaks the law." Oh, okay. I don't think it's really like you know a lawsuit or anything like that, but right. Um, but yeah, so that is, that is definitely a violation. Um, and also in the state of Michigan, we're under a unique situation. We are one of the states that has opt out for um, any of the sexual education stuff. So here's the question. Where does sexual education and sex education stop? Because you have all these discussions about different pronouns, different um, types of sexual identities, um, and all, a lot of the different issues. So where does it stop when you're talking about teaching kids about sex? Because there are state standards for teaching sex education. It's focusing on abstinence and, and you know, protection and sexually transmitted diseases. But where does that spill over into asking and talking about a lot of these other topics throughout multiple classes in school? Um, I can tell you right now, there's an organization called, um, it's called the GSI, the Great uh, Schools Initiative, I think it is. And they are doing, they put together an opt-out form that encompasses, we're opting our kids out of sex education. And we've defined what sex education is in that document. They've defined it. And it talks a lot about talking about genders and IDs and ideologies and um, any of the different topics, I can tell you, I submitted it to my school and um, they're ignoring me. They won't, they said, oh, well, your son doesn't have sex ed until next semester, so we can talk about it and you can opt him out then. And then my response was, did you not read the four-page document I sent you? It's like no gender ID, no pro-down talk, no trans this, no that. Like, he doesn't need to get that at school. We've had those conversations at home. We talk openly about it at home. We are accepting people of others. He doesn't need you discussing this at school. So I'm opting him out of all of that. And if you ask my son's pronouns one more time, he, you're, I'm filing a PPR, a PPR complaint against you. And it's been three weeks. I've gotten no response. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So but I definitely encourage people to look up the GSI, the Great Schools Initiative, because there are some opt-out forms they put together. It was put together by a lawyer. And I think parents, if they are not comfortable with these things, they should go ahead and exercise that parental right um, to their school on behalf of their kids. Where can you find this form? Um, it's online. It's the Great Schools Initiative. They have a website. Great school. Sorry, and I don't remember if it's a .org or a .com offhand, but I know some people that are working closely with that organization that have helped develop this form. And okay. um, it sounds like something that parents can kind of do to start the dialogue with their school and see, you know, where that goes. And what ages or what, what grades are they teaching this stuff or asking these things? Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a big one. Um, you know, it's hard to say because the schools are not being transparent and they really, it's almost like they don't want parents to know what's going on. So if they keep it on the down low, we don't know. So and they just keep sliding it in. Is it implemented into the curriculum? Yes, it is. Um, like for example, I've seen math problems and even in a math problem, it would just say Bob and his partner, Rob have I don't even know why that needs to be in a math problem like you don't even have to have a couple. you know a, a heterosexual couple like why don't right. we just say two people <laughs> had a problem and read the story like but there it is embedded in all the curriculum in various ways and they try to tell you that it's not but 
I can tell you I've looked at a couple different things. I've looked at the National Sex Education Standards, um, the NSES, um, and I can't say that that's being implemented in every school in Michigan or, or all schools in Michigan, but I can tell you the National Sex Education Standards talk for teaching in kindergarten a number of very graphic words, and it's almost like pin the tail on the vagina. I mean, they literally have sticky notes with different uh, anatomical um, th- body parts of, of females, genitalia and anatomy, and they have the kids with the sticky note. Um, it says to go ahead and hand them out, put the name on it, and they have to go up and put it on there and say the name. In and, kindergarten? In kindergarten to first grade, and that's what the National Sex Education Standards um, talk about. And the words are vulva, vagina, anus, I mean, all kinds of things, and, you know, clitoris. I mean, I... I don't know what I would do as a mom if my five-year-old came home talking about those things. I don't have a problem talking about sex with my child. We talk about that and we, we've discussed all different topics, but not at age five. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that's one thing like my wife and I with our kids is we've discussed like their, the names of their private parts, like the proper names, right? like you have a penis, you have a vagina. But, like, you, we don't get into, like, all the specifics and the details because, like, we don't want them to, like, be like, oh, look at my wee-wee. <laughs> you know, like, it's <laughs> yeah. just, like, it's just a, a, the nature of a child to say, right. to talk about their body parts. So if they're going to talk about it, at least use the proper verbiage. Right. But, uh, yeah, to, like, get into great detail of, of yeah. the sex organs, like, at five. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think that that's, you know, a parental decision as to how you introduce those topics to your children. Some yeah. parents are not open with their children about sex or comfortable talking about those things with their children. And I guess that that's um, their situation to work out. Um, but there's a lot of parents like why discredit some of us parents that are doing the right job at home and assuming that the school can just take over and teach what they want. Right. Right. So that's one thing. Um, so they're not being very transparent. So you really have to dive around and ask. And I think a lot of times when parents have asked, you know, we're getting run around saying, Oh no, we don't really teach that or whatever. So sometimes parents are having to FOIA do freedom of information act and go in and review curriculum and, and demand to see curriculum. But I also feel like, again, sometimes there's a little lack of transparency on the part of the school, which is unfortunate because, you know, we're the, t- we're the citizens and the taxpayers. And whether you support the information being taught or you don't support it, I think parents have a right to know either way. And I think that um, when you know what's being taught, you can decide what's right for your family. And if it's right for your family, for your child to learn about transgenderism at five, that's your choice as a parent, but yeah. I don't think everybody, anybody should be making a choice for another person's child, you know? So since we are an opt out state for sex education in Michigan, um, parents do have that right by law. And right now the schools, a lot of them are discounting that and ignoring it and saying, Oh, we're not really teaching that just the sex education course. You can opt out of that, <laughs> but you're talking about sex and sexual organs and, and different, you know, um, sexual orientations throughout other things. So, um, even the assigned reading, let's, let's talk about the other hot topic books. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) um, my son's had to read three books in school, um, and they're all very questionable things and, and they're assigned reading in, in high school and they're on homosexual themed relationships. Now, I don't have a problem with that because I, I grew up as a competitive figure skater. So I probably knew more gay people at a young age than a lot of people <laughs> did. And they were my friends. They were our posse. They were a part of our group. Like I don't, that's not it. But my point is, is why are we reading any books about heterosexual or homosexual relationships 
in school. I don't think it's necessary. I mean, I think if you want your kid to read it, great. I mean, if you take your kid to the library or you give them permission to check out whatever they want, great. But for assigned reading in an English class, uh, my question is, is how does learning about any intimate relationship in a book benefit my child academically in his English class? That's my question, right? There was one thing I watched uh, not that long ago. It was his parents at a uh, parent-teacher um what do you call them? Like meeting, like a PTO, meeting yeah, or, like a board meeting okay. or a PTO meeting or something. Um, and you're only allowed so much, so much time to talk. Oh yeah, which I, I don't get the understand. Buzzer. <laughs> I got the buzzer all the time. The mic shut off. She's done. <laughs> and they were these parents were concerned about this reading material that they were showing to these twelve year old kids. Yes. What 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 grade would that be? Like seventh or eighth grade? Yeah, middle school. Yeah. Yeah, and. I looked up the book. They had like a link to that book that they were concerned about. And it was showing depictions of men and men, like a man and a man having uh, butt sex. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it was showing like a, like male and female and then a female and female, like all these different orientations, orientations. and scenarios. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it was extremely graphic. Yes. It was like porno. Yes. I'm not even kidding. I was like, I was, I was showing my wife and she's like, whoa. Yeah. And I would not be okay with my 12 year old seeing that. Well, I think that that's what you're it, seeing across the board. And you know, I've, is that, have, it's, have it's you happening seen, everywhere. Have, have oh, you seen gosh. it in Michigan? Oh my gosh, everywhere. Um, yeah, it's happening um, in so many schools right now. Um, I work with a bunch of different moms and we are um, doing a lot of work behind the scenes, getting lists of where these books are, what schools they're in. And we have graphic images. We've purchased some of the books. We have the images. And the funny thing is, is when you look at some of the board meetings, we've actually been on the state um, board of education meetings where you can call in and make public comment. And we've been reading from the books. We've been reading the graphic and disgusting languages in some of these books. And again, I mean, everyone's free to read that, but like, why are we putting it in the hands of minors? That's right. what I don't understand. Why don't parents have a say in this? Um, well, here's the interesting thing. So if I were walking up down the street and I saw you and your children and I handed that same book to your daughter, I could be arrested for that. But a librarian and in the school, they're exempt from that law Whoa. in the state of Michigan. So essentially the laws don't apply to them. And I think that's a huge issue because, um, you know, right now, I mean, I don't know if that was always an issue in the past. I mean, maybe it was always there. But I think when you take what's happening in the books in the forefront with everything else that we're seeing, now it's like painting a very big picture of what's going on. It's not just a few books in the library. We've got, you know, discussions in math class that reference um, different intimate relationships or Mm -hmm. sexual orientations. We've got you know, pronouns and kids being asked to call kids other things and different pronouns and remember that and all, all, you know, all the things together. Like when you start putting it together, it is a much bigger picture. Um, But you do definitely see that um, there's a lot of parents that are concerned about the books in school because they don't know what their kids are checking out. And people will say, well, just tell your kid not to do it. Well, all right, we're parents. If I say, can you stop doing that? Isn't it going to be done five more times? Right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I think that parents do have the choice to allow their kids to read that. It may not be my choice, but I'm not going to judge a parent for deciding what's right for their family. Right. Um, but at the same time, if the school has no mechanism to monitor this or to abide by whatever parents' views are and what, they, what they're okay with for their kids, 
then maybe we shouldn't have it in the schools. Or maybe we should just have a section where those kids that have parents have given a written permission can go in that section to read that. I, I don't know what the solution is, but the current solution of just making it available to everyone um, is really, it's causing a huge uproar. And we see that in so many communities. Right now, um, some of the books that are out there are, are extremely graphic to what you described. They what, are the name, what are the names of them? Oh, gosh, there's um, there's a book called This Book is Gay. There's a book called Gender Queer. There's a book called, um, I'm trying to think of them, there, there's a group of all different ones, um, identity triangles. I mean, there are so many books. We actually, there's a group of moms that just put out the worst of the worst 20 books. And we are, there's a lot of lives on Facebook where they're actually reading excerpts from the book so people can understand I seen what the book is. I seen a live from Lansing, um, a few months ago. It was like, it was right before I contacted you Yeah. and, uh, this mom was reading from this book and it was like talking about like giving oral sex yeah. to, to a to a, her boyfriend and mm-hmm. um and asking him like if he likes it and all these things it was like what 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 is this well and you know some of the books I think the thing is is that we're a lot of parents like myself are getting a lot of pushback from people and name calling about the books is that they're saying that we are just basically um shunning and going after the LGBTQ community and the trans kids and and that is so not what this is about. Um, you know, I think that all of us parents uh, want every child to feel accepted and welcome and comfortable and not bullied at school. But let me tell you, kids are getting bullied for everything. I work in the special needs sector. If you only knew the bullying that exists with my clients' kids, yeah, and no one's done anything about that. The trans kids or the LGBTQ kids are no different than that. There's the tall kid who's getting bullied. There's the fat kid who's getting bullied. I don't see us spending time, spending time talking about all of those groups and why we need to be more accepting of them. In the state of Michigan, there's over 194, well, I'll give you the exact number, 194,218 special needs kids in Michigan public schools. And do you know the level of bullying my clients kids feel? I don't see anybody sticking up for them right now. So I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, we are not picking on any group of kids here. The bottom line is, is that these kids are not only who they are because of how they identify sexually. They are human beings. They are kids, right? Right. They have other qualities. They have other gifts. They are, they could be super smart. They could be the lead lead cheerleader, whatever their, their talents and skills are, right? Why are we only talking about them in sexual terms? That's bizarre to me, first of all. And second of all, you know, we, we just have these books and things, it's, it's about sex, period. I don't care what kind of sex it is, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, but why are we introducing this to our kids? I think there's ways that kids are going to learn about sexuality, but I personally would rather have my child learn things that are more appropriate than some of the books actually have incest, where the mom and the child and the female daughter are doing things and then the dad, and it's like, what? how is that in the school? And what that, book is that? I cannot remember the name off the top of my head <laughs> because it's probably giving me nightmares, but some of the things that are in these books um, represent very um, unhealthy sexual experiences. So when we see that there is an adult male cousin basically raping a young male cousin, I, you know, now that does go on in real life and there is a child who's going to identify with that, unfortunately, that could be his life and his experience. But I don't know why we need to see that in school for him to make him feel comfortable 
You know, I think yeah. that there are helps and supports that are in school for kids that have mental health problems or challenges or, or difficult situations at home. We do have school social, social workers. Do you think and it's good have, enough though? Um, you know, I don't know that it's good enough where it was. I think it could definitely be improved, but I also think that, you know, I just don't understand why the sex piece has to come into it so much. Right. And this has nothing to do with about, about being approved or, or any of that. It's just that these are kids, yeah. you know, and then think about too, like, let's say you have older children and younger children and your high schooler brings home this book with pornography and it's left with his, he's doing homework, his books are sitting out and then your <laughs> six-year-old grabs and says, Hey dad, what's this? And you've got <laughs> that, that picture that you were describing. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it, Again, I mean, I think it's a complex issue. I just wish that we could, as a community, come together and find ways to teach children that every child is different. No matter what it is, it could be the young kid who has the patch over the eye. It could be the child who is missing part of a limb. It could be a child who studies academically or stutters or has Tourette's. It could be a child in a wheelchair. It could be a child who's trans. It could be a child who's extremely overweight. All children are different. Why do we have to focus on sex? I, I think that's a bigger agenda. You know, I think, it, yeah. again, it kind of comes from some of the political thinking and I think also a way to further divide us because those of us parents that are not comfortable with the books and are asking for ways for this to be fixed are being called bigots, transphobes, um, homophobes, unchristian i mean just oh, every geez. possible name you can think of it's forced compliance that's what they want yeah but again i mean i think where as parents i don't teach i never really thought about school as like well it's his first day of kindergarten he's gonna go off and gosh i can't wait till he comes back and tells me the nine different genders <laughs> <laughs> i never thought about that right and i never really thought about like you know having a child and making all the decisions while i was pregnant and while he was young, okay, so when you're pregnant, can I eat lunch meat? And should I drink that coffee because the caffeine? And then when you have your child, it's like, oh, my gosh, should I get him circumcised? Oh, my gosh, there's a vaccine. Do I do that? Oh, my gosh, I can't breastfeed. Or do I breastfeed? Or do I do formula? Which formula? These are all the questions I have. But I never thought that when he turned five, I was going to turn him over to the school and let them make those kinds of decisions. Never in my mind did it yeah. ever. I'm not giving up my parental rights. That's it. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> So are there alternatives to the public school other than like a, a private school? Is there like any competitive educational system aside from the public school system? Well, I think that, you know, right now um, parents really are stuck. It depends on your situation. So obviously there's private schools. Um, some of the things that are going on in public school are happening in private schools. Now, they obviously follow different rules. They don't have to follow the government rules and such or some of those things because they're not tied to government funding. But there are, are private schools, obviously, that cost money. So if you're somebody who has the money, that's great. Or if you're somebody who has the ability to qualify for a scholarship in those schools, that's great. Um, for our kids that are special needs, there's not a whole lot of options. The private schools do not have to and do not typically really accommodate the special needs that these kids have. So for families that have a child who maybe has dyslexia or ADHD or something else more complicated, cognitive, severe cognitive delays, um, they're not going to get the types of supports they need with speech and language therapy or reading specialists and all of that social work that they would get in a public school that they have to give by law because they're federally funded. There are some hybrid schools out there um, and some homeschooling situations with homeschooling pods. 
Um, there's a couple schools that are classical Christian type schools, and in those settings, um, they stick to the very basics, and they are not going off on any of these topics that we've kind of discussed today. Um, but unfortunately, you know, a lot of families are not in situations where they can do that. So when I think of the, of the fact that 65,000 students left public school in the last few years, I wonder how many would have if they had had a choice, mm, you know? Yeah. I would have if I had had a choice for my son gone somewhere else. Yeah. There's there's a lady I had on the podcast not that long ago. She is a teacher for Michigan Learning. It's an online school. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but they, in their curriculum, they don't necessarily teach some of this stuff. I think she was saying that they were wanting to teach um, uh, like gender pronouns and stuff, mm-hmm. but then they ended up taking it out of their curriculum. She messaged me after the podcast. She's like, I just looked through my curriculum and it's not in there anymore. Well, and, I think a lot of parents... Um, and I can't speak for all, but I know that there's a lot of parents that don't want that at school. We, You know, when I talked about the literacy rates being like 30% in Michigan, I mean, uh, you know, why are we spending time talking about pronouns when our kids can't read? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm floored by that. And then, you know, in some marginalized communities, those rates are even lower. So how, like, what is the state turning out, you know, for yeah. our kids? So um, I think that, again, you know, we have got to get back to basics in school. We need to focus on being competitive and math and science and reading and writing and all and understanding good history, accurate history. Um, I think that there's so much noise. All of this is noise about the CRT, the SEL, the genders, the sex and all these things. You know, why are we spending so much time on that when our kids are failing academically so bad? I And especially after a two year pandemic, they were failing before this pandemic though. Yeah. I got to tell you, I looked at these scores and um, I can tell you that the state board of ed um, superintendent who came into his position in May of 2018 um nothing has improved since he's been here. Everything has spiraled down worse and it was failing before he came into the position. Um, and we have a Democrat majority on our state board of education as well. Mm-hmm. So therefore the topics that we're talking about that I'm talking about as being the noise are the topics of discussion. They spent the last two years in those meetings talking about masking children and making resolutions on vaccines and, um, and the books and the pronouns and all of this stuff. And there's some talk of, of literacy, but I don't even see any good quality programs or tactical plans. Like, I mean, I, I come from the business world. So like, where's your business plan for this? You know, if our, if our proficiency is at 30% right now in two years, we should be at 50% or right. 60%. How right. are you getting there? And what are the measures? I see nothing of that coming out of the state board of ed. Wow. So I can tell you that there are two really good candidates that are coming in. I think we need some fresh voices on that board. So I'm really encouraging people to, to check out Tammy Lee, uh, Tammy Carlone and Linda Lee Tarver. Um, they are really getting back to the basics of education and putting the academics first and like not focusing on all this noise, but at the same time, focusing on all children being welcomed and accepted, but we need to get back to basics. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's important. Um, One of the other things that I was concerned about too, was during COVID the schools had so much control over just the mask and sending your kids home. My son was sick almost every single week for like two months straight. Like it was just different things. Like uh, he had like the rhinovirus at one point and he had like just a seasonal cold and to where he like he had a cough and a runny nose. And every single time he coughed, they they're like, he can't be at school until he's tested. Mm-hmm. And then he was, we tested him every single time for weeks, every week we test him. And it got to the point where he, it was like traumatizing to him. He was four at the time. Um, it was traumatizing to him to have that thing shoved up his nose. And 
he ended up like just hating school. And then when we confronted the school board about it, they were like, well, we can't trust parents to make the right choices to not send their kids to school when they're sick. And I'm like, what? (laughs) We're going to keep our kid home if he's sick. Like, even if he doesn't have COVID, we're going to keep him home. If we think he's fine, we'll send him to school. Just because he has a cough, he's fine. Like, or, you know, just because he has a cough, it doesn't mean he has COVID or some other disease or whatever. And that wasn't good enough to them. Well, no, but here I think that um, exactly what they said just resonates with me because we they also can't trust us to make the right decision about ke- teaching our kids to be kind and accepting to others. Right. They can't trust us to make the right decisions of what sexual material is okay for our kids to have. They can't trust us to do is this. Is that their so response? I, no, I'm just saying, like, I'm listening to what you're saying, and doesn't right. that just resonate with everything we've talked about? Yeah. It, saying it, it's almost like they don't trust us to decide on books or curriculum or anything. Right. But as a parent... I know my st- my child better than anybody else, and I know, you know, there are things that he needs that he's not getting at school. I guess I'm just floored at the fact that the school feels the need or the abuse of power they're taking to basically say, we're going to override you as a parent, and we're going to tell you your kid might have COVID, so he's home. I mean, just like right. with the books. No, we're going to tell you that this is good for your kids to read. Right. I mean, I you know, it to me, it's... um are we losing kind of our ability? People are saying, oh, you're throwing around that term parental rights too much and whatever. No, 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 no. I decided to have this child. I carried this child nine months. I gave birth to this child. I have been in his life every single day since he was conceived. Why now do I not have a right to decide what's right for him? Right. You know, I'm not, what I'm doing isn't hurting anyone. If I say my kid doesn't need to read that book, how does that hurt somebody? If you're going to tell me that reading a book about a rape scene between an older man and a younger boy is hurting somebody, that my kid's not reading that, then, then okay, you explain to me how, you know. Well, and not to mention, to, to, I mean, because so many people are religious, mm-hmm. and a lot of religions are not that progressive. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't talk about sex, even just like heterosexual sex. Right let alone like gay sex and trans sex or whatever, whatever it is. So to force somebody who would be religious to have to learn something like that is like obscene. Well, I think the hard part too is that as parents, um, depending on your cultural or religious values and beliefs, you know, you're instilling that in your children from a young age, whether it be going to mosque or taking them to church or taking them to a um, religious class every week or, or your Hebrew right. class. I mean, whatever your, your, um, your faith and your values um, encompass. And what's hard is it seems as though the school is putting a different set of values on our kids and they may not align with what the parents believe at home. And that's where the conflict's coming in is like, where does the line get drawn? I think that's the big question. And I feel like right now, because parents are questioning that and saying, whoa, 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 you're in my domain here when it comes to values on my kids. And the school is saying, no, we have a right to do this. Well, where is that coming from? When when did it change? You know, when did they get that right? You know, I don't know. I guess for me, I noticed a lot of the things starting to happen in middle school, like I said, with the social emotional learning and that. I'm not sure. I don't really know. But I feel like, um, you know, there's a lot of bigger picture when I started going down 50 rabbit holes, which turned into 300 rabbit holes, <laughs> I started doing a lot of public speaking on what I found. And I did send you the slide deck and it's yeah. crazy. Some of the things I found, I thought to myself, I can't believe they're doing this to our kids. And it, and it's, it's right out there. If you look for it, it's not stuff that I um, 
made up. In right. fact, I knew that in doing my public speaking that people were going to say, oh, she's a big liar and she's <laughs> making stuff up. So I actually provide the slides and I provide a resource guide. So you go in slide number 50 and it says she's talking about this. You go to the resource guide on slide number 50 and there's a link to every article I use to write that slide. Yeah, you sent that to me and I was like, right. whoa, like this lady knows her shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I know that I'm being challenged for what I'm right. saying. And, I, and this is not, I, I don't really, honestly, I don't care how people choose to vote, whether they're blue, red or what. I don't really care how people vote. This is about being transparent with what's happening and, make, and making parents aware so they can make the right decisions for their children and their family. And that's what it comes down to. You can like the information. You cannot like the information. You can agree with it and say, I want that in my school. And you could say, heck no, my well, kid some, is not doing that. Some people just don't know. They don't know. And that's the scary part. But I didn't know. Right. And thank God I started asking questions. And then I remember when I had all this information, I would talk to a couple of moms and they're like, I'm like, what do I do with this? Like, I wish I could unknow this stuff, <laughs> you know, and go back to just sending my kid to school every day and saying, have a great day. Right. But now I'm like, okay, they have a survey this week. You know, I told the school, you're not going to take that sex survey. And I pick my son up and say, did they give you the survey today? And he's like, no, I pick him up the next day. Did they give the survey today? Yeah. I go, did they give it to you? Yes. And I'm like, I wrote the letter telling oh. them you couldn't have it. He goes, but mom, he goes, I didn't take it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's my boy. <laughs> um, you know, I guess, again, um, these are tough questions. I, I think that um, one of the things that I uncovered and I don't know if you looked at that slide, but there was one thing. I looked I at a few things. Okay, there was, there there was, was that, a lot of stuff well, there. Well, I know, but there was one page that was like a handout and it showed the social emotional learning and it showed social emotional learning in the middle. And then it had every organization all around it that was supporting some of these things. And I literally went to every website to see where they're pushing this. And there's like, like a hundred of them on that page. And so when you look at the social emotional learning and you look at even, there's another one that I did on the sex education influences. Um, and a lot of this is coming down from not just our local school boards, but it's coming at a state and a state level, a country level and a global level. So you do have a huge organizations that do want to see change. And one of the, the things that struck me the most when I was reading about this is when I was reading about the social emotional learning and all of those things, it said that the whole reason they're doing this is to pretty much transform the next generation to be employable in an equitable world. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I'm sending my kid to get an education. Like I need him to learn math and science and English. Yeah. Like I'm not, he's not transforming the next generation. He doesn't need to be transformed. He needs math and English, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but when you start diving into some of these large organizations, even up as high as the CDC, you look at UNESCO, you look, look at the World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, they're all playing a role in this. And that to me is frightening because that's a global level. level. That's not just your local school board. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it is a much bigger picture. And I know it sounds crazy, but um, that's where all of these paths led me when I was doing research. And then it's funny because I did all this research and I happened to see a movie and it was a movie you could stream because clearly it's about all this and they don't have that on regular TV. And it was called The Mind Polluters. Mm. And I thought, all right, I'm going to spend the 25 bucks and I'm going to see what this is all about. And oh my gosh, I watched the movie and I was like, this is my presentation. I'm really not crazy. Somebody else studied the same stuff and came up with the same answers that almost everything I'd been studying and uncovering was in this movie. Wow. And so I was like, I felt validated. I knew I wasn't crazy, right? But I felt right. validated in knowing that somebody else 
was as crazy as I was, went right. down the rabbit holes. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Is there other people that are maybe in other states that are doing exactly what you're doing? Yeah, there is a loud voice across the U.S. from parents. And it's sad to say it's mostly moms. There are some dads doing it, but I'd love to see more dads get involved <laughs> because, you know, um, some of us moms have been doing this for a couple of years and we're getting a little tired. But So um, how, when, when you're when you're doing this, what does it all entail? I mean, obviously you're fighting the school system. So right. what does that look like? Well, um, you know, I think it looks different for each one of us. And I always tell parents, you know, when they hear these things and they say, well, you know, I kind of know what's going on and they're not really somebody who's stepping up. I always tell them like, you don't need to step up the way I stepped up, right? You don't need to be doing a podcast and be doing public speaking or, you know, getting booed at a county commission meeting. I, you know, that doesn't have to be oh, your that's thing. all fun stuff. <laughs> oh, it's great. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think though that asking questions and sharing what you find with other parents and having those dialogues and maybe just putting together an email list and sending information to other parents that you found um, in the school and doing a FOIA request on something if you're not getting the information. You don't have to be that parent that's front center and speaking, right? Right. But at the same time, you know, if you don't step up and start advocating for your kids, you know, there's only so many, so many of us moms out there trying to do this, but we need more people to come on board and see what's going on. And like I say, when you see what's going on, if you like it and you support it, so be it. At least you know. But if you don't like it and your eyes are open to what's happening and you say, I don't want my kid doing that, then it's time to get involved at whatever capacity that you're comfortable with, you know, really. And again, um, what does it look like for me? Um, I turn my phone off for a meeting for an hour and a half and I turn my phone back on and I have 72 texts and that's just on text. And then I've got messenger and I'm in probably 10 different chats, basically working on different things. And there might be 40 plus chat messages going on there. And so, you know, I mean, my family at home is like, okay, turn the (laughs) ringer off. Cause if the movie's going on, my phone's like ding, 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 you know, it's like constant. So what does that look like for me? Um, it's being connected to a lot of other moms and all of us leaning on one another and knowing that when I have a question or I'm looking for information on something that I can reach out to another mom. And if she doesn't know, she knows somebody else that does. Mm. So it is like this arm in arm network that's virtual. And um, I can say that this whole thing has been very hard and it's nothing I ever set out to do. I mean, believe me, I have a single mom with a business and a house. Like I don't have time for this. I would rather be doing anything else but this, but Um, the only thing I can say is God's blessing has been like putting amazing people in my path to walk beside me on this and to lean on and to, um, share information with and to uncover this. So for us, it's a lot of, um, chat groups, zoom meetings late night and things like that, where we put information on Google docs and we're sharing it. And then we're trying to either present it to groups that we're with or at our school board meetings or share it with other people that are kind of doing the same thing. How when you're when you're doing these, de- we can wrap this up soon. We're over an hour, but wow, there's so much to talk about. I know. I wish we could have been done in ten minutes. So little to talk about. When uh, I, I don't wish that because wow. then that's a lot more work for me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it makes my job a lot harder. I've had episodes like that. Yeah, a couple minutes and I'm like, oh boy, what do uh, I talk about now? Um, but when you're when you're going through these deep dives and when you hear all these other stories of all these other parents who are concerned about all the things that are going on in the school system. Mm-hmm. How do you have hope? Like, wow. do you have any hope for the future? Do you have any hope that it'll change? How does it, I mean, because I, I would assume that 
it would be overwhelming for one. And for two, it almost feel like you're fighting this endless battle mm-hmm. and against this big, like evil corporation type type yeah. of thing, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I can tell you that some days are easier and some days are harder. Um, you know, it's, um, I think that for me, the hope comes from the other parents that I'm doing this with, because on the day where I'm feeling defeated, somebody might have a small victory and they share that. And it makes me realize that something we've done is making a difference. Um, I also think the other part of hope for me is that sometimes, you know, I put out information and I share what I find and, um, with people and I feel like, is this just all for nothing? Like, does it really make a difference? Right. And then I'll get a message from somebody who reaches out and said, Hey, I used your information or do you have more information on this and this and this? And I send it to him and I realize that, you know, maybe I don't see how I'm helping someone else in this process or inspiring somebody in this process to do something, but it's happening behind the scenes. So when I get those small little signs on the days that are rough, that's the part that gives me hope that knows I'm not doing it alone. Um, as far as hope for things really changing, um, and I think this election is so important and I hate to even tie any of this education stuff to politics, but I think that's just where we're at right now. Um, I think the election is so, so important. Um, and I hope that parents will really, you know, if they're hearing these things, dive and ask the questions so that when you do vote, you're voting for your kids and what's right for your family, even if it goes against something that you thought you always knew. Um, I think right now there's a lot of people that are conflicted because of maybe being tied to one party and always believing a certain way. And, and I just wish it wasn't about parties. I wish we could put the topics on a sheet and just mm. say vote for these things yeah. and then whoever it aligns to, it aligns to. Yeah. But life isn't that simple. <laughs> so as far as hope goes, I mean, I think that question will be answered for me depending on how this next election um, turns out. In terms of education, um, we can see where the education has gone the last several years in our um, state. And we have an existing governor that's, you know, in the election again. I would anticipate that what's happened the last four years is going to continue if she's reelected because when I've always had that statement said to me when someone shows you who they are believe them (laughs) okay Mm. well I've kind of seen what she's done with education and it doesn't resonate well with me personally um so I think that we need change at the government level and and the governor I also think that in the state board of education again we've had an interesting fact I found out is that we've always had a democrat majority in Michigan on our state board of ed why is that? Is it because of the unions they push certain candidates? Um, you know, it's funny. I wish I could really answer that because I've not ever been in the politics thing very long. So, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm surprised that it's always been a Democrat ma- majority. And I guess, you know, when I look at that again, and we, you know, I'm saying like, well, what they're doing now isn't working. So if we keep doing what they're doing, isn't that the definition of insanity if we're expecting a different result? So for me, I think it is about change at this point. I'd like there to be a more balanced board of ed. I think that having people on both sides um, to express different points of view is important. Like you have to have devil's advocate, right? Yeah. But I think that just having, you know, what I've witnessed in the watching the state board of ed meetings is literally um, the only word I can say is disgusting. Um, the antics that go on and the unprofessionalism and the attacking, the verbal attacks that our two conservatives take on that board are just beyond what 
I, I don't even know how they keep doing it. I, I thank them every day for doing that for our kids, you know. Um, so I think that at the state level, we need that. And then um, I think with our local boards, this election cycle is going to be interesting. We have a lot of parents that have stepped up. We have a lot of grassroots people that never set out to do any of this, like me. I mean, I never thought I'd be speaking at a board meeting, let alone doing press conferences on the steps of the Capitol. I'm like, this is not anything. I, I mean, I remember seeing people speak at a board meeting thinking, well, I'd never do that. Oh, gosh, I crossed that uncomfortable line a long time ago. But now we have a lot of parents stepping up at the local level and even parents stepping up at county commission levels. And so I think, the, I don't know, I mean, I'm hopeful that our election is going to make some change and that we can get people in there with more balanced points of views and putting children in a priority um, in a different way. So, I mean, right now, I don't know how I'm going to feel after the election. I keep saying, do I need to be sedated on the election night and take a day off the day after like I'm going to be all over? I'm not sure. <laughs> but, I mean, this is the most I've ever really leaned on an election. And this is funny because anybody who knows me knows that. I mean, I've had friends for seven, ten years. They, they're like, you're doing what? You've never talked about <laughs> politics, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So the hope, I don't know, it's it's hard. How do you keep doing this? Yeah, I could imagine. And hopefully more people do step up and more people kind of take over the reins a little bit so you can kind of like <laughs> relax take a little, a little bit. vacation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever thought about like putting together a team of people? I mean, you kind of have a team of people, but like. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that um, all of us have different organizations that we either head up or involved with, but we all kind of collaborate together. It'd be great if we were on one organization, but I think a lot of us have already started out in different organizations. Um, so. You know, a lot of us um, have our own things that we're working on, but we collaborate across the state. So, I mean, I've talked to people from all different parts of the state and some of my regular chat groups every day and, and I'm, you know, working with them on different initiatives. So it would be great if we were like under one umbrella, but I think yeah. that also takes away the uniqueness that all of us have you, and bring to the table. Do you, you know? think there would be more power, though, in that? Like if you guys were to unite under one umbrella? I think there would be, but I also feel like a lot of us are really strong personalities, and I think that sometimes we have clear ideas about what we want to achieve and do. Um, so I think we could be, but it, it's also kind of hard because so many of us already have things going, and it's kind of hard to, like, change your shift and your focus. So what's the beauty of it is, is that we're kind of overlapping in the areas that we're working on the same things and focusing on some of those things together. And that's really when I started Michigan Liberty Leaders. My goal was is to unite these groups, right, yeah. and, like, try to get them under one umbrella, which has proved very difficult because <laughs> everyone's all over the place. But the one thing I can say is I do interact with so many different leaders and the ideas and things that – I'm or the things I'm working on are not just my ideas and they don't need to be my ideas, but it is right. a group of leaders that are leading other people in the name of Liberty in Michigan. So that's kind of where, you know, I just try to connect with so many groups and share. And if someone reaches out and says, Hey, can you help me with this? And I'm like, no, but I know somebody who can. Oh, that's really <laughs> so, cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, Maria, thank you for doing this. Yeah. Um, I, I feel so overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> I know my world is a little overwhelming, um, but especially for you with having younger kids, I think. Um, and I don't know a lot about your audience space, but I hope at the end of the day with this is that um, despite my own personal views on things, that that doesn't be the only thing people hear. I hope they hear that um, to research it and to like find out more what's really going on right. and to ask the right questions and to just make the decisions that's right for their own family. And if it goes against, um, you know, voting red or blue that you've always done, I mean, 
you know, put your family first. I think we're in really unique times right now. We've all suffered yeah. so much. So I'm just hoping that people walk away, think, you know, with that mentality and not thinking I'm trying to impose my own personal view on them. Well, know? I mean, anybody who knows me and anybody who actually does listen to this podcast, not the people who don't know me, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate from this because of just yeah, people I know. like... the topic is sensitive. <laughs> right. But people, I mean, like people who actually know me know that like I can just sit down with somebody regardless of me agreeing with them or not. And just hear them talk and yeah. get their opinion. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about just education in general. It's right. about like sitting down with somebody you don't necessarily agree with, which most of the stuff I do agree with. Um, so I probably lost some listeners there. But <laughs> but like the thing is, is like I had Ryan Kelly on the podcast and I got right. a lot of hate for that. Did you? People, people are like, why didn't you grill him on this? Why didn't you talk about this? He said this, the sexualization of children and you didn't even say anything. I'm like, that's not what this is about. It's about me having somebody on to learn who they are, what they think. And I mean, that he's running for, he was running for a political office. Why wouldn't right. I talk? Why wouldn't I talk to him? Well, I think and, these are sensitive topics and there's such a divide right now that I think a lot of people would rather not talk about any of these issues because they're, oh, someone's going to call right. me a name. Well, they're going to call me this or that or assume things about me. Yeah. I mean, right. and the thing is, is when you stand for something and especially when you stand for something that's like against CRT or the sexualization of children and uh, regardless of your political views, you're always kind of lumped into this group of people. And right wingers. Right. Yeah. You're a right winger. You're <laughs> I'm a domestic terrorist. I almost wore that shirt today. I have a shirt that says domestic terrorist on it. I almost wore that today. Oh, for that's, you. that's awesome. I know. <laughs> I, say? I guess if I got to wear the label, I got to wear the label. Right. Yeah. Right. But, you know, that's one thing I don't I don't really worry about anymore is like being labeled. It actually helps me whenever somebody's like hating on me for my guests. I'm like that. That just helped me because it makes people pay attention. So, well, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, we're just at a really strange crossroads in our community and in society right now. And um, I hope that all of us can just find some commonalities and coming together and, and moving forward. And especially when it comes to the kids. Yeah. It's just, you know, honoring the values that families instill in their children and finding a way to make that work at school and just really lifting our kids academically. That's what that's about. This is about for me is, yeah. you know, we need to see kids that have a good educational foundation so they can grow up and be everything that they can be. Yeah. You know? Everything that they deserve. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this was an educational session for me. And uh, mm-hmm. I hope it was for a lot of other people also. And I mean, because like, I don't know a lot about this stuff. And I know that a lot of other p- parents don't know a lot about this stuff either. So, um, yeah, this isn't, this wasn't something to like create division or like, no, no it's just an educational conversation. Right. So. And honestly, like I said, this isn't anything I was ever involved with. It was just kind of my journey in the process of how I asked questions. I was like, what is that? <laughs> you know? So, um, if anything, I just hope it inspires somebody to start asking questions and at least know what's yeah. going on and then kind of go from there to make their decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Maria. Thank this you. was fun it and was. Uh, hope to do it again. All right. Thanks. All right.